Hey guys, welcome to Two Guys on a Podcast. All right, man, got Brandon Esch, Terry Cagle, I'm Jason Akins, and today's guest is Garrett Anderson. And Garrett, we're really um, happy to have you here, excited to have you on Two Guys on a Podcast. I know there's a lot we want to talk about. We're all old friends sitting around the round table and um, looking forward to sharing some insights. Yeah, glad to be here, glad to finally make it. Good deal. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Garrett. Uh, born and raised here in Jasper. I've lived in uh, four different states in the last few years due to uh, due to my, my job. And uh, I come work with all you guys in the Walker County Sheriff's Office for on and off, I'd say, three and a half years. And uh, got to know all you guys. And, yeah, got a beautiful wife, two beautiful baby girls. Uh, come from a good family. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Glad y'all had me. Where is it that you work? I work for BNSF Railway, um, second largest railroad in the country. Um, I had very low seniority in Birmingham where I hired out at, so due to that I had to travel some. I've lived in Nebraska, Missouri, Texas, uh, and uh, a little stint in Memphis and back here. So glad to be home, glad to be around friends and family again. What's your job title and what's your responsibilities? Um, I was a conductor, hired as a conductor in 2014. Uh, got promoted to engineer, went through engineer training in uh, the first part of this year, 2019, and I got engineer certified. Uh, so I am licensed to drive a train. What What made you decide to go work on the railroad? You always hear the money. I mean, there's nobody from the railroad that's broke, but at the same time, the work-life balance is is, a, is, a, is an adjustment. Um, you're away from home a lot. You you have a lot of responsibility to control sometimes upwards of 135 cars of, of, of freight, whether it be cars, vehicles, or coal, or, or you know any kind of a grain or anything like that. So it's not everything's not a, a an express train. Sometimes, especially at North Nebraska, I was on trains upwards of 14 hours at a time. So you never know when you're going to work. You, you're, you're married to your phone. When it rings, you go. And well, my dad he he retired from Norfolk Southern Railroad. Yeah. And I, I remember growing up, he used to refer to my mom as a railroad widow. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did, have you ever heard that term? I have. Because uh, I mean, you're, the mom is essentially, if you have kids like Keisha, my wife, at all the school functions, church functions anything related to the kids she was there because most of the time i couldn't be and that was actually you know my you know i was talking to you guys before and and i'm essentially missed my daughter's first steps this year and uh, that was kind of the all right it's time to go home it's time to be at home it's time to be a daddy it's time to just you know sometimes we let money and the the uh the thought of providing take over who we're providing for and that kind of was a gut check to me like okay I can go home and, and work and uh, I'm actually working for Kevin Callahan at the Honda dealership right now it's a great job great people uh, great schedule and uh, you know I, I may stay there you know I very well could stay there uh, I'm home and that's the biggest thing to me is about being home being with my family around my friends and it's the first time I've seen some of you guys in a long time so long that's that's yeah. kind of the thing where now I can actually be me again and I have to constantly run on two hours sleep to go to work and stay at hotels in Memphis and Houston and Kansas City and, and Springfield where I can be here with my, my friends and family. So that's that was kind of where I'm at now on it. You can't rest in a hotel, can you? Not right not no. like you can at home. No. Nothing like no. being at home. No. 
Nope, there's nothing like the comfort of your own bed. That's what I say. That's why I stay local on my job instead of going over the road for a little Yeah, yeah, you're, you, you actually do something that my, my whole family's done. My whole family's truck drivers, so I, I grew up the, the son of a truck driver, so I know it takes a lot away from it, especially hauling over the road. You, you know, it ain't like the co-hauling days when they work home every day by six. It was mm-hmm. a lot different. I'll be honest with you, Bob. If it was still co-hauling days, I'd be hauling coal. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I know a lot of great people that did that and made a good living out of it. My dad, my dad at one time owned 13 coal trucks, hauled for Drummond when Drummond was in the peak, you know, when mm-hmm. they had Cedrum and Flat Top and all that. And I mean, I never wanted for anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never, I, I guess I was spoiled. I got everything that I needed, not everything I wanted, because y'all know my daddy. But mm-hmm. I mean, I played ball, I played everything, went, got, you know, good clothes and all that. So. Yeah, I, I, had, I had family that hauled for your dad. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Cousins. I'm sure. Back during the glory days, whenever you used to add wood to the top of the trailer so you can get more tonnage. Yeah, cold cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a big industry in Walker County for a long time. Yeah, it was the biggest industry. Everybody for this whole uh, good number of this county's families. I mean, I have relatives that they did coal. I mean, that's what they did. Mm-hmm. At one time, I'm, I'm pretty sure y'all might know better than me. We rivaled the state of West Virginia for production. Yeah, Walker County individually rivaled West Virginia. Yeah. yeah. And, and we produce a type of coal that you don't find just everywhere, metallurgical coal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's used for the production of steel mainly. See, the coal now comes from up north out of Wyoming mm-hmm. and uh, Wyoming and South Dakota. That was what we brought down here with the railroad. When I was in Nebraska, I would run trains that were going to the power plant in mm-hmm. uh, Quentin. And that's a so, low sulfur burning coal, that's so it's why they get it. easier to meet EPA regs. Right. Our coal here was more for metal. Their coal there is more for the production of power and, and stuff like that. So right, right. That did you ever see any of the brown coal? I did. I did. We saw some, uh, and, and when I was in Lincoln, we saw some. It had come out of, I want to say Idaho or somewhere, and uh, I didn't know what it was at first. <laughs> I, was like, I heard rumors back in the day that... Uh, the BTUs and everything on it was so strong it was actually blowing up the yeah burners and everything down there. They actually had to mix it with dirty coal to keep it down. Yeah, they had to mix it with uncut, unclean coal. Like like you said, like you you worked in strip pit like I did. Yeah. Like you, you had your, your dirty coal pile was over here next to your, your good coal pile. So lots of trips to the washer. Lots, lots of trips to the washer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, there were a lot of guys around here in, in our county you know whether it be through trucking coal it may just be an individual that had their own truck or the guys that had the small coal operations that started up who made hundreds of thousands if not millions and they weren't a big huge outfit they would be one or two mines or maybe one or two trucks and they were killing it and you think about guys like uh like you know kyle engel on quality coal it was that's i worked for him there was two mines two pits mm-hmm. Uh, Reed was another one. Uh, yeah. Then you had guys like Randy Robinson that owned a bunch at one time and mm-hmm. kind of made a. And then Black Warrior, where Ron Perry, uh, Roger Perry owned mm-hmm. Black Warrior, and his, his brother Ron owned Black Gold Trucking, a big yeah. trucking company. So everybody tied. It wasn't just the Drummond Giant because you had you know you had AJ Taft at one point. The Taft uh, was second to Drummond. Then you had uh, Cobb. Cobb. Then you had uh, Jim Walter, which they yeah. weren't really Walker County; they were more Jefferson, Tuscaloosa County. But you had Jim Walter, huge company at one time. I had an uncle that had Lost Creek coal. Right. So the little ones that popped up provided just as much a good living as Drummond. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, Drummond, Drummond made their big money in, in Brazil and 
yeah, you know, outside the country. Yeah, Colombia. Yeah. They, made, yeah. they made their biggest. They made their biggest money whenever they figured out how to do mineral rights. Yeah, and now that's the thing. Like you may buy land now, but you don't own the mineral because Drummond owns the mineral. Exactly. It's like eighty yep. percent of the county probably is probably yeah. Drummond owns. It's, it's either Drummond, Alabama Power, or the University of Alabama. Right. In this right. state. Yeah. yeah. I heard a great story about Hallmark out toward Blount County. You know there. Yeah. He. Um, my understanding was he was, I believe in the Korean War, he was fighting the Korean War. And he would send his military check back home to his family and he'd say, buy mineral rights, just buy mineral rights. Came back, of course, started Hallmark Coal. And you go down Interstate 65 and you see that monster house and that area that, I mean, it's just yeah. unbelievable the money he made just from doing that. And unfortunately for me, like, you know, a lot of guys don't want to hear this, but it's kind of dying around here. And it, it, it sucks because, yeah. from what I understand, we have enough coal in our county, in, in this state, and in this country to run power for upwards 200 years just mm -hmm. off coal. Mm -hmm. But you have too many government agencies come in and EPA regulations and then pay and union and all this stuff now where it won't be like it was in the 90s. No, ever again. No, never again. Ever again. Never and I just hope those guys stay working because there's a lot of good yeah. people that work. Oh, absolutely. Great. Right. Absolutely. Not only everything on that, but you also got to look at the price. Right. Anytime the price right. jumps up like it did in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, everybody's wanting to get that. We can get the coal out. As soon as it bottoms yeah. out, everybody's out of a job. And well, nobody realizes what it does to the economy. Like, you know, in the 90s, you know, other guys that we know that worked in the coal mines and, and, and drove coal trucks, everybody had nice trucks, nice oh, houses. Yeah. And it, it's. Unfortunately, now they're worried kind of like guys that work for the railroad are, what, what's next? Right, what, 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 right. You know, we have a thing now where they want to go to one-man crews, one guy on, in the cab of train. That's going to cut back on jobs, I think. I mean, they say it won't. I don't see how it couldn't. But 30 years ago, my dad, they would run a five-man crew, and yeah. he would. they were starting to buy out guys with seniority. And then they would, he, he was on for at least 10 years what they called the reserve board. You know what that is? Yeah. And what basically, they were in the process then with the technology, they wanted to get it down to a four-man crew, then a three-man crew, and he said, son, one of these days, they'll get to a one-man crew. It's coming. Because now you have this thing called PTC, positive train control, and then TOs called trip optimizer. And I know just from being an engineer, you're not driving the train. You're blowing, you're blowing the horn and you're hitting the alerter because the computer is taking that train down that rail. I think that's probably the biggest chat, and I don't think we're ready for it because we don't have uh, the leaders aren't talking about it enough. But automation, the automation that's coming, is going to do more damage to working people oh, yeah. than anything we've ever seen. But it's do more with less, to make do, more with less. It's that's, all about those shareholders. <laughs> oh, so well, they're looking to make more money. Mm -hmm. In the day, I mean, it's, it's it's money. If you have less people to pay, you got more money going to the people that's making the money. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can not give somebody a Christmas bonus because the CFCECOO is getting him a $5 million lake house in the year. That's the ugly beast to be in the man, I guess. Well, believe it or not, even in the industry that my little family business is in, yeah, we're looking right now, we were going to buy one this year, probably next year. They have these you know, commercial grade remote control mowers, and now they're coming out with mowers that are using AI and laser technology to map out an area, and you don't even have to ride it, you don't have to do anything. You just plot it out, and it does it for you. Yeah. Because in, in everything I read, in every, every magazine or article that comes out about the landscape industry, it's all because of labor. Yep. And they're like, we're gonna yep. cut out labor. 
Mm. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes the bottom line, your your bottom line, you don't see how it affects the people that make it your bottom line, and that's that's the ugly beast of it. Like especially the coal business. I mean, you don't see. I remember it used to be a thing like my brother redone the Ernie McClinton song Coal Miner. Ah, uh, yeah. And there's right. a mine there two weeks before Christmas they were shutting down the mine. That used yeah. to happen. Oh yeah. They would shut it down two weeks before Christmas, open it up two weeks after the new year. No pay, yeah. no no bonuses, no nothing. Yeah. And that happened so many times to people that it became a joke. It's getting close to Christmas, you know, they'll shut us down, we won't have money for Christmas. Yeah. Now, what kind of a joke is that for a a, family, a man with a family, you know? And people people forget how hard and working people have had to fight in this country to have the standard we have. They forget that. Right. And especially guys like us, I mean, we've all benefited from our parents. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we are living in a time now, you go back, somebody I was talking to the other night was telling me that he remembers going to Curry School and there was a family a large family. He came from a large family, and he said, "Jason, we would we would in elementary school we'd go barefoot till winter." He said, "But they would stay barefoot even in the winter." He said that was 50 years ago. I said, "I'm 45 years old." I said, "We're not that far removed from that kind of poverty." Yeah. And people, for, you know, it's it's easy to forget how hard people have had it. And my fear is that, you know, I I I just believe that with the economy the way it's been changing over the past 20 or 30 years that it's it's getting the, the the gap is getting so big it's getting harder and harder for working people to make it the good thing about it especially locally here there's a lot of i ain't telling y'all nothing you don't know there's a lot of good folks that live around here oh man a yeah. lot of a wealthy prominent folks that live around here that that do a lot of stuff that they don't just use as a tax write-off they don't just right. don't put it in the paper what they do but I, I know personal experience sure you guys know too about people donating and, and giving and, and making sure this is here and this one has this one and, and they never say nothing about it. It ain't a tax break, it ain't a look at me thing. Mm -hmm. So I think we benefit from living. People can say what they want to, there's a lot of negative connotation about where we come from, but this is a good place with good people. Uh, my, bro my brother, for instance, you know, they did that search party for the missing person, what, last weekend? Yeah. Caleb fed all the all the people that searched for 75 people. He told the sheriff, he said, I don't want no recognition for it. I just feel like this is my heart. This is what I want to do. Right. He fed everybody. Right. I mean, that's the kind of people we have in this county. Exactly. And all the way around. All we hear about is how we're number one in the country for opioid addiction or how we're the number one place to get a hit man. And say what you want to. If you're not from here, you don't know. You don't really know. You don't know. get to see what kind of folks live no. here. We got, you know, I'm, I'm involved a little bit with some organizations and one that helps the homeless. And we have an, an organization in Walker County, the Walker County Foundation. And a lot of the money comes from old coal families. Right. And they do so much to help people that really need the help. You're right. There are a lot of charitable folks here. And some of our wealthy, wealthier citizens give a lot of money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of good-hearted people here. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the one thing that I always tell people on my travels, I guess, working is there's good people everywhere. I met good people in Texas and good people in Missouri, good people in Nebraska. But it wasn't home. I mean, it wasn't like the people here. But what ruins us is that 1%. You know, oh, yeah. We don't talk about the 99%. We talk about the 1%. Right, right. Because it's a glare. That's what hits the news. That's what hits Facebook. That's what hits all right. the stuff is that 1%. For every, for every one drug trafficking child molester, there's 3,000 good-hearted. I don't know that I've seen that. <laughs> 
good you're right like, people. That's a quite a combination. You're right. You're right. <laughs> that's a really <laughs> bad guy. I know exactly what you're talking about. But that's all we get publicity for. Is, is I don't know. I really yeah. Yeah. Drug, <laughs> drug, drug. They tend to be one or the other. (coughs) Wait and see. In two weeks, there'll be one way. You'll be like, that's the guy he was talking about. He was talking about that. He was talking about that. He knew something. He had intuition. I know the guy, really. You're right. You're right. I think overall, (laughs) people are attracted to the negative, to the shocking. You know, what what is really going to just. And it's something in human nature. You know, just like when you're going down the road, you're not paying attention to all the what you're seeing. You know, what's normal to you. What's yeah. not normal is that car wreck on the side of the road. And, and I'm not trying to take a light off of anything. Like, we've had a lot of missing children here lately. And I think it's, as a father, I think it's that's disgusting. And it's... it's, it's Amen. It's it, a nightmare. It sh- that should not happen. And I'm not trying to take a light off that. All I'm saying is that for every one of those stories, we don't see the 10 stories where, you know, people take in other people's children. Oh, yeah. And, and give them a home because they don't have one. Like, I know plenty of people right now that are raising children that aren't theirs. But it's either their parents are not here anymore, either dead or in prison, or, or just decided, hey, I don't want kids, I'm going to leave, and they, they took them in. And, I mean, my, my in-laws are raising children that are not theirs. They're grandchildren and because of that same thing. So we don't hear about those situations, all the charitable contributors, and all we hear is the negative. And right. that's why when people say, where are you from, Walker County? Well, oh, y'all, y'all have opioid addiction. Yeah, but we also have damn good people. So that, that's where yeah. I stand on it. That also goes back to you talking about how the 1% always gets all the attention over the 99. That's because bad news is always better ratings than good news. Yeah, and bad news well, travels like People want to pay people yeah. pay attention to the news more whenever there's a bad situation. Right. I don't want to pay no attention to good stuff exactly. at all. You brought up something right there, and I was kind of wanting to ask you about this. Describe how how hard is it in 2019 to actually have multiple have, have a family with multiple children and actually try to raise them as kid in Man, this area. I'll tell you this: um, my girls benefit so much from having two good sides of a family that it helps out a lot. Um, I'm sure you, Brandon's a father. I'm sure you yeah. same thing. You yeah, know, I, mean, I, have six, I have six kids. So. I know your parents well. You know, mm-hmm. I, mean, I know what kind of people they are. So it's hard to look at the news now and see abductions and to see molestation rings and sex trafficking rings. It's hard as a father, and it, it terrifies me. Like I, it might be paranoia. I mean, I'm one of those guys that, like you guys, we we worked in a situation where you had to handle yourself a certain way. I I I think I handle myself a certain way, and I'm the first one to, you know, I, I would jump in front of a, a a speeding train for my wife and kids. So it's almost to the point now to where is it safe to take your kids to this place or, or this place? Or like we were going to go to Disney this year, we had to postpone our Disney trip because I got laid off with work. But at the same time, it's like. I, me and Keisha talked about it. We were nervous. You know, you're down there at Disney around Christmas with, I don't want, I can't even guess how many people are there. I mean, hundreds, it's of, hundreds of thousands of people. And what, as sad as this is to say, what better place would it be for some knucklehead to take a child than the happiest place on earth? I mean, right. you know what I'm saying? You got kids everywhere. So we thought about that and it was like, okay, we got a plan for this, plan for this. And that's so sickening to do. But it's, and even going back to financially, I have two daughters. Um, Allie Grace is five, Caroline is, is a year old. Uh, Caroline was born premature, spent upwards of 70 days in the NICU. She was born 10 weeks early. So I 
I had a helpless feeling when she was born because I couldn't do anything. My wife couldn't do anything. There's doctors and nurses. And St. Vincent's, I'll tell you guys, I shout out to St. Vincent's, NICU and child care. It's an Those incredible guys hospital. were, man, I couldn't, I couldn't ask for better. So I had that protective thing with her right off the bat because here she is. She's, you know, two pounds, mm-hmm. and I can't do nothing for her. So my daughters are very young, and you look at it from a standpoint to where, what's this place going to be like when they're my age? And that's what I think about every day. What am I, where are we headed to? I, and I ain't going to venture a guess because I don't want to get into all that and where I think we'll be and all that. But look how much it's changed since we were five. In some ways better, in a lot of ways worse. So, you know, we left our doors unlocked. Kids could go out and play and not have to worry about being abducted. How many, how many times did they say, just be back by dark? We're right. at the creek fishing or yeah. we're riding bicycles or four wheelers in the pasture. Am I gonna do that with my girls? Probably not. No. Hell no. Hell no. Probably. And you know, Paul, my brother, just bought a a big. uh, He's gonna use as a cattle farm. We're gonna get in cattle business, and we're gonna build on his property. And so it's gonna be just us, me, Paul, and y'all had Champ on the show. Champ's building up there with us too. So that's gonna be just a family farm deal. But at the same time, I mean, I still want my kids out, even around that little neighborhood right there, because you don't know who's coming down the road. There's riffraff not too far that we all know down you know somewhere close you know i I think that's one reason it just to kind of go back to what you were saying about how we conduct ourselves that's it kind of behooves us we can't just sit back and watch you know and and do nothing we have to as and and i'm not trying to leave out women i include women in this but as men we have to take responsibility because our communities our families um, we can either opt out and whatever happens, happens, or we can do the best we can right. to try to make it as good as we can because it's not, my daughter's 30 years old. She's 31. Yeah. No, she's 30. She'll correct me on that. <laughs> She'll be 31 soon. But it doesn't change, guys, because I can tell you right now, if someone mistreated her or, you know, it's a, a, a man or something like that, you know, buddy, I'm coming to see him. I'm just as protective, and I worry about her. So it will be this way your entire life, and I'm sure our parents are this way. And we may not realize it, but they—I'm sure—they worry about us all the time. The more we know, the more we fear. In some instances, ignorance is bliss. Yeah, because we're all—we've got a past together. We know where we—we we know what we've seen. Our eyes have been opened up to a lot of crap. Mm-hmm. And we keep that in our head. Right. I know I do. Yep. Even out on the road. I have, I, you know, ignorance is bliss. If we didn't know what what was out there, if we didn't see what we saw, would we feel this way? No. Probably not. No. No, I mean, it's it, it completely changed me doing the job that we've done, all done together. Seeing what we saw and the, the things that these people have done, it changed my perspective on everything. Well, it, it made it like this, and I, I know y'all agree with this point because me and Terry's talked about this before. You know, we we all know sitting here together, we all know four and one. That means you're leaving. Mm-hmm. So we all know at night when you get four and one that you're you're essentially walking out of an evil back into the world. And at one point, because not every, no, I'm not saying everybody that's ever been incarcerated is an evil person. I'm not. That's not the connotation no. I'm trying to put on it. Well, some of them are, and we know we've seen it. We, me and Terry's talked about it when I first started there. Terry and Jason, I worked with them, and you're on a different ship, mm-hmm. Brandon. But they told me like 
Terry said, the worst thing you can do is call four and one and take this place home with you. That's it's right. the worst thing you can do. You got to go back to being, you got to be Anderson when you say one and four. You got to go back to being Garrett when you say four and one. That's right. And that was, so I see what you're saying with that. You got to, from what we saw and what we know is there, a lot of people don't know that. No. Most people, people don't, don't have a clue. They don't carry that burden with them of knowing. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I go to the gallery at Christmas shopping, I got my two girls with me and I'm, I'm constantly scanning. You know, I'm looking at people, my wife's like, why are you staring at them? Because they, they something appeared with them that kind of gave me an eerie feeling. It's just like I told you once before, you brought that up. You can't, you can't describe it to anybody else. You can't talk about it because they're not going to understand it unless they've been in it. It's just like military. You're not going to understand it unless you've been there. Yep. You know, and what you were referring to, I, I talking about pro wrestling, you know, cause that's what we used to do all the time. Yeah. You know, you almost had to develop a, for lack of a better term, a wrestling character. Yeah. That's why I said what I said. You know, Kegel was this way, but I had to go back to being Terry. It yeah. was almost like you had to separate yourself you just to be able to survive mentally. Because yeah. if you didn't, that's exactly right. I would agree with that 100. I mean, hey, that was that was one of the best pieces of advice that I got down there. Was that that you told me that you know you got to be one guy in here and then go back to being the man you are when you get out of here. And you do. They do carry in certain areas, though. You can't help it. Like, uh, you, you, you're still human. You still have a heart. You know the guys that are down there that shouldn't be there, or they got a bad break, or they're they're just one bad decision away from being a good dude. We've seen those guys. Oh yeah. And well, you see it. them on the street, and and you, you hope they're doing better. You want them to be We we you know not to speak on a bad subject, but one of those guys that I always had to try to get him to do better. I think he was doing better. Passed away here recently. And he was actually doing good. And, and my brother did his funeral, and a bunch of there's some law enforcement guys there because they seen him doing better. And that that was the good side of it. We get to see some of those people do better, and the ones that don't, the ones that shouldn't shouldn't be out in public. We get to see them go where they need to be going. Right. So yeah, I mean, I was exactly. We know, and it's been a small community we live in. Our county's really a close knit community, in my opinion. We know a lot of these people that are going to jail. Went to school with them. Mm-hmm. Spent time with them. I mean, hung out with them. So we know these people. We know they're not bad people. They just caught a bad bad break. I want to bring them, uh, uh, somebody. We all know John O'Mary. He spent some time in the county jail. When I first started in law enforcement, mm-hmm. he, he had a bad break. John's doing great for himself now. Oh, yeah. And I always liked John. I love him. Yeah, played music with him. Right. I mean, I, I think John O'Mary's great. Yeah. You played, you played music. Now, let's talk about that. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, how, long, how long you been playing? I picked up a guitar when I was 10 years old. My dad was driving over the road at that time. Uh, cold business kind of winding down. He drove over the road, and a guy gave him this old uh, white Washburn acoustic. And my dad my dad played. He was a, a, a local fixture in music in the 80s and early 90s, playing at like places like the BC Lounge. and The Before River Christ Cafe, Lounge. Yeah, River Cafe. and uh, Not... not not Cafe Bills, Bills Pub. Bills by, Pub and Grill. Over by Five Points. Uh, so he gives me this guitar, and uh, he gave me a, a Merle Haggard songbook. Because you guys know me, I'm a big Merle Haggard fan. So he gave me a Merle Haggard songbook, and it was uh, Merle Haggard, like the essential Merle Haggard. had like Rambling Fever, Working Man Blues, Mama Tribe, that kind of deal. So we, the book fair come around. You know, the book fair come around to school. That's where I did most of my Christmas shopping as a kid was at the book fair. So uh, they had a chord book. Just show the basic chords to the guitar. And I bought it, went home, sat in my room, played it until literally my fingers bled. And that's how I developed calluses on this hand. My fingers would bleed 
until I get it. And it sounds like crap. It probably sounds like somebody, you know, beating two cats together on a, with a rock or something. It's just horrible. <laughs> As it always does whenever you learn right, how to do it. Right, yeah, you started the drum, so you know yes, what I'm talking about. Yes, sir. So, yes, sir. Uh, I, but the funny thing is, I didn't learn one single song out of that book when I started playing. What I picked up on was a John Anderson song, Seminole Wind, was the first song I ever learned how to play because it was the same throughout the whole song. It's four yeah. chords, the same throughout the whole song. So I finally got it right, got the courage to go and live there and play for my dad. I think I was about 12 this time. I played that song, couldn't sing for crap, still can't now most of the time, but um, he, he was, you know, kind of, well, that's a good job, you know. That, that meant more than anything, having who in my mind was a country music legend, even though he'd never been on the radio, say, good job. I was like, yeah, I'm, I may be okay at this. So I started learning everything. My brother took it in a whole different direction. Uh, my brother played everywhere. He's opened up for Hank Williams Jr. He has opened up for Confederate Railroad. He's opened up for Cletus T. Job. I mean, I, the list of people Paul's opened up for is huge. Paul was, Paul got in a thing where Paul, in the early 90s, Paul was very young. You and him are the same age, right, Jason? We graduated high school together. Yeah, Paul was very young, early 90s, but I feel like that was his window because Paul got told by a prominent record executive, and I don't want to misquote his name, but I believe it was Keith Stegall that produced Alan Jackson. Paul got told by him that there's no doubt you can sing, there's no doubt you're talented, but you're too country for Nashville right now. And not, that, not marketable at the time. That was kind of a kick in the nuts, for lack of a better term. So Paul went into the, okay, I'll play every dive bar, every frat party, and I'll play outlaw country music because those guys kind of gave Nashville the middle finger. Mm -hmm. I'll play that kind of style. So the switch flipped, Copperline was born. Right. And then you guys were around during that time. They were a staple in the college scene and all that. Oh, yeah. They were, they were huge. And, and uh, so that was my – I joined with them later on and now play with them full time. But um, that was kind of the thing. The guy, they, watching them, man, this is like John O'Mary, founding member of Copper Line, along with Brad Baker and Cody Lockhart. Terry knows Brad in football. football no, Cody, around here. no, Cody, too. Cody, yeah, Cody, good guy. Cody has a show called 64 Sessions on YouTube that yeah. I've been on. Great, great deal. But they, um, they, they formed that band and watching those guys, how people reacted to them, and people, seeing people in like the Galleria and places with Copper Line shirts on, it was, it was real cool. I was like, man, that's what I want to do. And here I am, a high school kid. You know, that's that's a life, right? All these girls around, you know. Not that any of them were, you know, they all had girlfriends, but, like, the show would be college girls, college guys just having a blast. I mean, this is awesome. Absolutely. Felt like a rock star. You did. So that's, and, you know, it was back, like, like Paul and, and Wayne Mills, you know, R.I.P. Wayne Mills. They, 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 were, right. they were buddies. You know, you get to know people. You're networking. You're knowing all these people. Landon Taylor would come down from Clay Walker and play with Copperline. That was a big deal. You know, here's an actual touring musician down here playing yeah. with them. And it was it was cool. They redone an Ernie McClinton song, which everybody around here knows Ernie McClinton shotgun back in the day. Mm -hmm. Redone an Ernie McClinton song and, and kind of revived that song. And then Ernie yeah. started playing more and everybody wanted to hear all the old Ernie stuff. And it it, it was a great day. When I was 21, the music scene in Jasper was awesome because you had bands like the Jefferson Brothers, Copperline, uh, Willie Poe was going around playing, mm -hmm. Rick Wade was playing, uh, you had uh, Carl DeMone and the Road Dogs. I mean, it was, these. I feel sorry for these kids now because they don't have that. You could go to every bar on a Saturday night and hear really good music mm -hmm. and just make a loop. And it was awesome. Every weekend. Every single weekend. I mean, you could go the office, Cafe Bills, O'Malley's, the Greenhorn, if you wanted to venture down to the special, it wasn't what it is now, back then, but you'd go to oh, the yeah. special, Legs Hideaway, 
Legs Hideaway. You can even hear decent music at Legs Hideaway, and it, they don't have that now. So that's what right. we, me and Heights, me and Justin Heights, when we worked at the county, used to tell those young officers, like, y'all don't know what it's like now, man. Back in the day, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And I'm not knocking musicians around here today. There are some very talented musicians around here today. Smashley is a great band. They play a lot now. Yeah. Um, you know, Donnie, uh, Donnie James, he played on the Carnival Cruise ship. Donnie which plays which we all know him as Donnie Glenn. We know him as Donnie mm-hmm. Glenn, but Donnie James, Christian Gann's another one. Christian plays a lot. We're the light guy. They, you know, whether it's your brand of music or not, they still play a lot. And that's, that's the thing. And a lot of the time, it's not my brand of music, but I appreciate musicianship in any form. Well, what do you, to a certain extent. What do you think about the current state of music? Well, I think commercialized music nowadays has no substance. It has lost a sense of musicianship. There's no storytelling. I don't know what half these guys are talking about. And that's not just country music. Me and Terry's had the same discussion about rock music, the current state of rock music. Mm-hmm. It's terrible. It lacks substance. It, what it is is that you don't have those guys you had back in the day that would look at a record executive and say, no, no, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. All what you have now are guys that... Oh, I'm famous, but I'm also a yes man. Do you think the profit motive has just totally taken over the artistry? I can speak for country music because that's what I know the best I feel. What made country music great was it was a story. And the guy that sang it and wrote it, you believed it. He lived it. He went through it. There was truth. When when you hear Sunday morning coming down, you know Chris Christopherson lived that song. When you hear he stopped loving her today, you know George Jones felt that in the bowels of his body. You don't have, I can't listen to chilling on a dirt road and and think that, man, what a night. (laughs) No, I think get that freaking click track out of country music. This is not hip hop. That's what I think. There used to be the running joke used to be whenever you listen to country music, you had to listen to it in reverse because that way I got everything back. Yeah, that, yeah. That's what made country music country music. Yeah. that You, you got to go back to the roots of it. Country music also ultimately came from blues and everything else. The, blues. There's mm-hmm. stories to it. with the Like you say, there's emotion to it. Whenever people sang with it, there was conviction in their voice. Mm-hmm. You don't have that anymore. I agree with you 100%. So who's your favorite all-time country artist? Um, George Strait was the guy that actually made me love country music. Um, I do believe, you know, he's the king. Nobody can touch him as far as number one hits. George Strait was also a guy that benefited from good writing. Yeah. George, George only wrote two of his songs. Yeah. I had one of the number one yeah. hits. He only wrote, and one of them was an album cut called Arkansas Dave, which is an awesome song. It's about Arkansas Dave Rudabaugh that broke with Billy the Kid. Yeah, yeah. It's a great song. Uh, him and his son, who's, who's named Garrett, by the way, they wrote that. And uh, But to me, if I had a Mount Rushmore of country music, Hank Williams Sr., George Jones, George Strait, and Merle Haggard would be my Rushmore. I'm right there with you. I got Hank Williams at the top of mine, too. He is... Hank Williams Sr. is the is my all-time favorite country artist. The reason Sr. was so good was he was in an era where there was not, when you recorded a song, you had to record the song from the start to the finish. There was no patch and there was no, mm-hmm. all right, let's go back and do that over again. No. Right. He, and there was no auto-tune. There was no there were no Pro Tools. It was... Raw voice. Raw voice. But Joel, Hank Williams Sr. and Keith Whitley, who in my opinion is the greatest country vocalist ever lived as far as pure vocal talent, no. Keith uh-huh. Whitley can sing. They both died at 29 from the same thing. They drank themselves to death. So it, 
you look at that and you, like you're talking about mm -hmm. there was the emotion there mm -hmm. there was the pain there was the conviction mm -hmm. when when Hank Williams senior sings uh you know uh there's a tear in my beer all those jambalaya those classic you know the, the mm -hmm. fun songs but when he's when Hank you hear Hank Williams say to hear that lonesome whippoorwill it sounds too blue to to fly mm -hmm. you feel that yep. it's a long when it's Keith long Whitley when Keith Whitley sings I'm over you or yeah. I'm no stranger to the rain, or that you feel that when when Merle Haggard sings Misery and Gin, you feel that when Waylon Jennings sings Amanda, I mean you feel that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't feel Luke Bryan or Jason Aldean singing a, a one song they sing, and I'm not knocking them. They much may be making money outside of this. They may want to do something different. I don't know. Even even with female singers too, Patsy Cline singing crazy, right. Yeah, I'll even go a little bit more modern. Reba McIntyre singing fancy. Yeah, well, hey, I made a comment. Not interrupt. I made a comment <clears throat> one time on Facebook that got a lot of people stirred up. Miranda Lambert's early stuff was very Steve Earle esque. If yes, our listeners know who Steve Earle is, mm -hmm. Texas legend. Yeah, her early stuff was she's a, she's a Texan, so you could tell she grew up listening to Steve Earle. And I made a comment on Facebook that was not well received one time, and it was a joke. But I said it's bad when Miranda Lambert has more balls than all the men in country music. Right. Because she but it's was, the truth. She was singing real music, you know, like, and she was adopting Steve Earle's sound. Uh, there was a song she did called uh, um, "Kerosene," that is an, actually an adaptation of a Steve Earle song. Mm -hmm. The same chord progression, same sound, but Steve Earle gave her permission to do it because he realized the same thing I did at that time. You know, I think modern music's overproduced. I think it's it takes the the sincerity conviction it takes them the the emotion the lyricism and the musicianship out of it not saying that we don't have good musicians today jason aldean's touring drummers got him rich redmond that guy might be one of the best drummers i've ever heard but he's just playing what he what he can play i mean right. my thing is all these independent guys that are winning grammys right now guys i listen to like cody jinks like like Tyler Childers, Sturgill Simpson. Chris Stapleton. Chris, Stapleton. Chris Stapleton's kind of made the jump, but he's mm -hmm. still playing what he likes to play. That's the right. good thing about Stapleton. Mm -hmm. Jason Isbell, Alabama boy, mm -hmm. took, home, yeah. took home a Grammy for Best Country Singer. He used to be with Drive-By Truckers, who was also a band when we were, mm -hmm. the truckers were awesome. That's where I listen to, because you know, you listen to Tyler Childers sing about his daddy mine in Pike County Coal. He lived that. Sturgill right. Simpson, you know, you hear his songs, he lived it. Cody Jinks. Literally. I think Cody Jinks fantastic. He's my favorite current artist right now. Mine he's, too. He's, Mine too. he's fantastic. His new album's wonderful. Yeah. I think, um, you know, and you and I have discussed this before. Um, above above all, and I think you go back to the Roy Acuff days at the Opry and then Eddie Arnold, and you bring those guys in, when the music in Nashville went from hillbilly to, hey, we're going to call it country. And then, of course, you had the Nashville elites who didn't even like that music being there. Yeah. I think, you know, they went through a period of time, the Nashville sound, where it became very produced, very almost kind of competed with Sinatra and those guys in, in, in the way they, they presented their melodies. The guys wore tuxedos or suit and ties, you know, to do the songs. And then along came the outlaws because they wrote their own songs. They were doing their own thing. Like you said, they felt it. You know, Hank Williams probably still doesn't get credit enough for being a genius of a songwriter. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was a true genius songwriter. And similar to Prince, 
Prince was a genius songwriter. And one of the best musicians that ever lived. One of the best musicians yeah, that ever lived. Very well, underrated. We're going through a time period like that now. Um, I'm like you guys. I like Cody Jinks, like Stapleton, like um, Sturgill Simpson. But it's market-driven. Mm-hmm. And above all, it's about making money. So they're just putting out what they de- the driving demographic that's buying the music. And, you know, they're, put, they're putting out what's selling. And for, unfortunately, I'm like y'all. I think it's garbage. I can't. I can't even watch an awards show anymore, because I'm like, I, this does not apply to me. I just don't get it. They're target yeah. demographic, and this was something that my brother was told when he tried to pursue a music career. You have to sell music to 16 year old girls. Yeah. You don't sell music to you know 30, 35 to 45 year old working men. You have to sell it to 16 year old girls so their boyfriends will get their daddy's money and buy that ticket to take them to that concert. Right. The guys we love, the guys we respect, the guys we grew up listening to, it's coming back a little, mm-hmm. but they're still not going to sell that to your run-of-the-mill six-year-old girl. They'd rather hear somebody like a like a Kane Brown, I think that's one of his names. Who's, who's the one? Red that Aiken's would, son is uh, uh, Thomas Rhett. Thomas Rhett. Guys like that. And I love Red Aiken's when we're wrong, but... Who's so, the guy with all the tattoos and the earrings and says he's an outlaw? Brantley he, Gilbert. He rides around on a four-wheeler and shoots <laughs> a shotgun. He says, I'm an outlaw. Gilbert. Well, the, what made the outlaws special was the fact that they pretty much told Nashville, like, we got enough support. We got enough fans. We'll do this without you. Basically, y'all yeah, We off. don't need you. You know, these other guys, you know, is, is, you know, Eddie Rabbit, they need y'all. We don't need y'all. Right. You know, Chris Christopherson, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, Tom Paul Glazer, Johnny Tom Cash, Glazer. we don't need you. We'll go out and play the festivals and we'll pack the place out. We don't need you. Hell, Johnny Cash went to Dagum Folts in prison. And played the prisoners. And that's, and that's when he really went through the roof. And that's yeah. another favorite of mine, Cash. I yeah. love Johnny Cash. Oh, yeah. man, I think he's wonderful. He was talking about all these other people. And the way the music business is now, it's not necessarily as it used to be, meaning you can basically do what we're doing right now. You can do you can record everything at home, and then all of a sudden you can get it out on the internet. You can market yourself. Yeah. You can promote yourself. You can get somehow, way, shape, form, or fashion, instead of getting on the radio and becoming getting on the top ten or whatever. If you can happen to make a Spotify playlist, it's almost the equivalent of women, right. of having a gold album and everything. Right. Is right. that is that how? Is that how everything's going to continue to go? Do you think? Do you think that's how the way we're going to get away from some of these uh, in, in ways. dirt road riding, you know, in, and daddy's truck? Yeah, in ways, yeah. But you got to think. I'm not knocking her because she's multi-platinum, and I'm sitting here, you know, talking amongst friends, not not in my yacht or anything. Taylor Swift did that. Um, she was. She started out with one song on YouTube or something, and Justin Bieber was discovered on YouTube. It's it's an avenue too, but you look at this thing. I saw a breakdown the other day of uh, the song Bohemian Rhapsody versus a Beyonce song, I think, called uh, Girls Run the World or something. That song that Beyonce had had like three producers, 12 writers, three editors, mm-hmm. all this. Bohemian Rhapsody had one. Freddie the Mercury. whole way down. Freddie Mercury did everything. <laughs> Freddie, Mercury. Freddie Mercury was incredible. So you one of the best frontmen ever lived. Uh, so, so you kick back to that, like overproduction when you got Freebird. Simple Man was recorded in Muscle Shoals in a little small studio, actually in Sheffield, Alabama. I've yeah. been there. I've seen where Ronnie Van Zant scratched a line of that song into a piece of the wall in the mm-hmm. bathroom. 
I bet that song was recorded right there with one guy behind one soundboard with Skinner in the in the open room. Mm-hmm. That was where Freebird was recorded. Now you got songs that have that say the same thing over and over and over again, recorded by twenty people, passed through this chain, this chain, this chain to get to the top, and you got some big cat big wig up there saying you ought to be a hit. All of us can sit here here right now, name stuff that we think is country and write a gold a gold record because now country music isn't about country music, it's about the idea of being country. I agree with that totally. Is it because when you're talking about the way everything's written and everything right now, is it because they're more interested in getting the song played in the club? I, I would say yes uh, to getting it through multiple platforms. To not you're, you don't have one target audience, and everybody always tells me, well, you know, country should do what rock did. It should break it down into pop rock and, and alternative rock. No, no, it shouldn't. No. Country music is country music, and I'm glad they've never. Do I agree with what they label as country music today? No, but I'm glad they haven't broke down that genre because it doesn't need to be broke. Shooter Jennings has the has a title of an album. I don't know if it's appropriate to say, but it's the best title I've ever heard. It's called Put the O Back in Country. And I feel like that's what needs to be done now. Country music needs to be country music. Again, they can still do their own thing, but make room for everybody. Make room for the Cody Jinxes and the the Sturgill Simpsons to get in there, too. Give people variety, but don't break it down into that. I hate to change the topic for a minute, but we're talking about Hank Williams Sr. Have you ever heard Hank the Third? Yes. Yes. He sounds just like his granddaddy. When he don't do the screamo rock right. stuff, yeah. he's yeah, very yeah. talented. When he does his very granddaddy talented. songs, you can't really tell the difference. Well, and his daddy don't get the recognition for being the vocalist that he is. Right. All you know, you we hear the all my rowdy friends are coming over tonight, that kind of stuff. But when you break down, you hear blues man. That's you hear Eleven Roses, or you hear yeah. uh, even even uh, the Man of Steel. You know, that's, yeah. that's an upbeat yeah. song, but. Try to sing it. I have. It's not easy. You know, Hank Jr. don't get the recognition he deserves as far as the vocalist. As a party guy, a legend, absolutely. But not as a musician and and, and vocalist he was. Yeah, I agree with that. So I, what we do, I say we is in me playing music. I, I do a lot of 90s music, 90s country and 90s rock because I grew up on it. And I still think there was good musicianship and I think there was great lyricism there. Mark Chestnut's Too Cold at Home is one of the best songs I feel like they've ever written. Well, you got Alan Jackson. Alan Jackson Jack chasing that neon rainbow. Yeah. I mean, that, that describes mm-hmm. what it's like to be a musician. And even in the, 90, the early 90s rock stuff that I can't play, but I wish I could. Like, I'm a big Chili Peppers fan, big Black Crows fan. I like Pearl Jam. I like all those early 90s bands that came out. Even some of the more popular kind of Sister Hazels and all that, I still liked them because it was popular. It was fun at the time. And good musicianship. Yeah. You know, yes. but one of my favorite bands ever, even though most people either love him or hate him, is a Dave Matthews band. And, and it's not because of the lyricism or his voice because I can't understand what he says half the time. But you sit there and watch that live band. That, That's one of the best musicians best I've ever heard in my life. I mean, all the way around, you will not find a guy that's just okay in that band. Mm. They're all stellar. They're all tough. It's like watching the Allman Brothers in the 70s. I mean, they're that good. Yeah. Wow. If so. you could just get Dave to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, when Robert Randolph comes on with him and plays this pedal steel oh, scenes, God. man, it's, it's, it's heavenly. I mean, it's, yes. And if Victor Wooten happens to be playing bass with him, it's like, God, Warren Haynes comes I was, go- I was going player. there. It's I was going so there. good. And, and granted, I don't know what Dave's talking about most of the time. Even if I do know the lyrics, I don't know what he's talking about still. But it's 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 a Bob Dylan-esque kind of way with Dave. But yeah. the musicianship is like you took 
John Bonham slash Duff McKagan and rolled them into one and said, play with it, play a song. Yes. And that's what you get. They're that good. And that's how Zach Brown, the Zach Brown band was when they first mm-hmm. came out. It was so good mm-hmm. musically. Even played with the Dave Matthews band because oh, yeah. they were that good. I don't know what direction his music's taking. He's kind of going in a different way, but that's his business. But his band was so good. The Black Crows were another band like that with me. I love the Black Crows. Um, if you hear the night they drove old Dixie down or Sister Luck, it's just so good. Yeah. And it's just the musicianship. It seems like it's not that they can't play because you still have the guys in Nashville and New York and LA that can play. It just they don't get featured anymore. You don't have guitar solos anymore. You don't have country chicken picking. The pedal steel is a thing of the past. You don't hear twin fiddles in country music anymore. There, and it's sad too because you don't get that Amarillo by morning. You don't get that Devil Now Georgia. You, you don't. You don't get the the working man blues. And you don't get that anymore. That to me, that's a part of country music that's been taken away. Us people from the South listen to country music. I mean, it's, it's predominant music genre here. It is. You can't relate to the music anymore. No, because they don't. These new artists don't have a damn clue how we live. No. You said something that really sticks with me, and it. Um, that you kind of put it into words how I felt about a lot of the new music coming out um, in, in the country genre. It's not as much about country music as it is the idea of being country music. Right. In other words, I can play a song or write a, write a song and we're going to go back in the woods in my dad's truck. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, the lyrics that I'm hearing and all this stuff they're doing, a lot of it, hell, we couldn't afford to do yeah. when I was growing up. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and it's just everything is so, it's almost like, okay, let's write a song about what country kids do. That's and I'm like, is. we never did any of that. That's what it is. Hell, I was working at the food world sacking groceries just so I could go on a date. It, it, it's, the, it's, the <laughs> idea, it's the idea of what is country to these right. people. What they see as country yes, is it's, hunting it's, and fishing. And it's not sincere. Riding dirt roads on a truck and you got a good looking girl next to you. I right. mean, have Scant- we all... Scantily clad, by yeah, the way. I mean, have we all been there? Probably. But is that what country no. music is? No, because if, if I can listen to a song... And there's a guy that I don't know if many of you know it, he's from Oklahoma, his name's Jason Bolin. I'm actually going to see him in February, mm-hmm. he's coming to Avondale. He is, man, he is, there's some songs, some lyrics in some of his songs that will knock you flat on your ass. It's that good. He has a song that's called The Dark and Dirty Mile. And the hook of that song says, um, it, it says, uh, it's a broken hearted world that we inherit. And all we're told to do is sin and bear it for a little while. Like, that's powerful. That is powerful. And that song, it says, like, you better, you know, it, you, so it's like, you know, you do this, 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 and this, but you better be careful because all the knots you tie are going to leave you in a ball. Like, like words like that, like some of the Hank, like Blues Man, when you're talking mm-hmm. about Blues Man, you know, that uh, the, the hook in that song would knock you down. Sunday morning coming down, he stopped loving mm-hmm. her today. Drinking right. and dreaming, Willie Drinking Jennings. Drinking and dreaming, angel flying too close to the ground. I mean, you got so many of these iconic songs. They're out there now. You just know what got nowhere to look. Right. What do you think about the about all of these former rock folks coming down and deciding to make country music? To a degree sometimes. And I listen to an Aaron Lewis song right now. 
it takes a rock guy to come down here and actually do a countryside. Aaron Lewis thing. was somebody. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Aaron Lewis, somebody was going to bring up. I think Aaron Lewis has done fantastic transitioning to country music because mm. he is. He's a storyteller. He's telling stories in his songs. Yeah. If you listen to Aaron Lewis's music, was stained. Yeah. It's still good. I mean, it still had. Absolutely. I'm on the outside and I'm looking in. That's one of the best written songs mm-hmm. in rock music that I've, I grew up with. Sorry. You look at guys like James Hetfield. I saw an interview. They asked James Hetfield, "When you retire, what are you going to do?" He said, "I'm going to move to Nashville and start writing outlaw country music." Uh-huh. Corey Taylor, the lead singer for Slipknot and Stone Sour, I saw his acoustic show covers old country music. Yes, it does. They grew up on that. Wow. Darius Rucker's a prime example. I know he's commercializing all that, but he grew up in South Carolina listening to Waylon Jennings and Merle Haggard. He did Hootie because it was something to do, mm-hmm. but he always wanted to be a country singer. Mm-hmm. So it's the guys that they made a living doing something else. But now they're they can be relatable. Doing what they want to do. Brett Michaels did the same thing. Brett Michaels cut a country album. Was it the greatest? Probably not. But it was storytelling. But you look at Poison, something to believe in. That's a great song. I don't care what right. way you sing it. That's 110%. a great song. Motley Crue, Home Sweet Home. That's a great song. So you, there, there's rock songs that have been covered as country songs because they're great storytelling songs. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Like Champ, y'all don't hear Champ's a Champ's a big fan of, of a Billy Ray Cyrus song, which gets laughs, but it's uh the uh, uh Some Gave All, talking about the military. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sandy Kane. That's a great song. Why well, they gave it to him to do, I don't know, but that's a great song. Yeah, I've always thought Billy Ray Cyrus had a fantastic voice. He does. He got does. he got all his commercial and everybody got so sick and tired of him after Aki Breaky Heart. He got pitching. I help. get it. He got pitching. My favorite Billy Ray Cyrus song is one last thrill. Yeah. That right. is a great story. It is, and he and his vocal range and everything. It was great. Well, you had a lot I of hit wonders then, like uh, like everybody remembers David Ball from Drinking Problem, but yes. he had Riding with Private Malone, which is a great. I mean, we're all pro military here. Yeah, I absolutely. Think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. We're all pro military here. So you had those songs like that where it tells a story. You know, that's the song I know David Ball from mm-hmm. is Riding with Private Malone. It's a very moving. It's a powerful song. And you look mm-hmm. at those '90s guys, man. You, you had a you had a group that come out. You know, I mean, arguably Garth Brooks is the biggest. Star star of that generation and rightfully so up to a point his first four albums I'll put against anybody's first four albums I mean you had No mm-hmm. Fences you had you know Alabama Clay is one of my favorite Garth Brooks songs it was his first album but you also had Mark Chestnut Tracy Bird Tracy Lawrence and Clay Walker that came out of Texas at that point mm-hmm. you had then you had Wade Hayes who was a one hit wonder but was a talented musician yeah, you had Alan Jackson Clint Black Travis Tritt the Georgia Boys that came out of that, yeah. that era and they all rolled into one in 90's country Granted, was some of it hokey, probably. Yeah. But you listen to like "Too Cold at Home." You listen to uh, "Alibis" by Tracy Lawrence. We've heard that one live. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. You listen to that live. I mean, and Alan Jackson has a multitude of them. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite Alan Jackson songs is, is called "Hole in the Wall." If you've never heard that, listen to it. It's it's a it's a country song. Clint Black, I mean, all of Clint Black stuff to a certain degree was yeah. fantastic. Travis Tritt's one of the best singers ever. I mean, he grew up singing. Very underrated. Travis Tritt's also very underrated. Very underrated. But they all came out in that same time period. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what I attribute to where it was on Daniel Slide, and I would really listen to these two guys and listen to modern country music right now, was Kenny Chesney and Tim McGraw. I'll that, go, yeah, that I to me that. was where it started yeah. petering down. Yeah. But now I've really listened to them too, the modern country music. But I figured mm-hmm. that was where it started going down at. Same way in the 80s when it started going down and Randy Travis popped up. George yeah. Jones said he just saved country music. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. we got the guys yeah. in the 90s. Right. right. Well, the 90s kind of, would you agree, not necessarily lyrically or musically, popularity-wise, 
Country music kind of peaked in the 90s. It did. And whenever you brought up Kenny Chesney and Tim McGraw and you believe it went to a downhill slide, I definitely agree on Chesney. Kind of want to argue with you on McGraw, but I respect your opinion. Yeah. It, it has went down. Yeah. Do you see anybody coming that could possibly be the Randy Travis of this group, of they this era up. or whatever you want to They call messed it. up and gave a national record deal to a guy named Cody Johnson. Um, which I've been on Facebook. I've been back and forth with people because he's been he's been typecasted as the next George Strait. I'm sorry, there's never going to be another George Strait. No, nobody in music is going to accomplish what that man's accomplished. Cody Johnson's a cowboy rodeo type singer, not the Crystal Dew kind, but more geared toward the George Strait kind. Right. Which was country was at its peak. Was the rodeo was at its peak. Yes. So he's kind of. I think they messed up when they gave him a national record deal and took him out of Texas because he's still doing what he was doing in Texas. Will Nashville allow that? Maybe to be seen. I don't think Luke Combs or any of these guys are going to be the answer. I heard a comparison today where somebody said Luke, all Luke Combs is is bro country in a potted meat can, which I thought was hilarious. But Cody Johnson could be that guy. If they ever give those underground guys airtime, if they ever mess up and give Cody Jinks, Sturgill Simpson, Tyler Childers airtime, it's over with. It's over with. Well, much like the outlaws that you were talking about before, yeah, they gave the they gave the established middle finger. Said we'll do it our way. When did the establishment start turning their way? When they started rolling in the money. That's exactly. Right. As soon as this guy starts rolling in the money, yeah. same way with all this dirt road crap. A couple of songs came out, big hits. They went that way. Yep. It'll be the same thing. Yeah, it will. And I think that's the, that's when the tide's going to turn as far as, as country music is when you get guys in there that's not afraid to tell the establishment we can do it without you and we'll do it without you. I heard, I'll speak this, we have a friend, Jason graduated with him, his name's Bob, his name's Shane Black, they call him Boz. He was talking to Ward Davis, who was another guy that is uh, in that whole little, that movement, that independent scene. He's Cody Jinks' best friend. And uh, Ward Davis told a story where they're sitting on Cody Jinks' bus and he gets a call from his agent. Hello? He says, uh, hey, uh, Brantley Gilbert wants you to go on tour opening for him. And he said, really? He said, yeah, he heard your stuff, loves you. He's gonna do a stadium tour, wants you to go open for him. He says he's gonna pay you $50,000 a show. Ward said, verbatim, Cody looked at Ward, looked back at his phone. He said, uh, he said, tell him I said to F off, I'll do it for a hunter tonight or I won't do it, and hung the phone up. And Ward Davis said, I looked at him and said, man, that's why we're best, like that was him giving an established artist of, no, you're gonna have to, you're gonna pay me big bucks before I go sell myself out, and essentially. He got paid so much money to show up to, to uh, Rock the South and only did five songs because he wasn't there. He, he was the odd man out of that whole deal. I mean, he really was. and. I think there's a divide there and what Terry's hitting on is is will they give that group of guys the shot to kind of steer the ship and when they do start making money I mean there's festivals everywhere right now where these guys are selling selling out but it's guys like us right. and our wives and mm, yeah. my daughter's a huge Cody Jinks fan if we walked out of Grace's door right here right now she could name every Cody Jinks song out there but it's because that's what her dad Paul's girls are huge Wayne Jennings fans because right. it's influenced of yeah. course but of course. It's it's one of those things where that's what you need. You need another generation, the next generation, to do it. Well, that, and that's what I'd like to. You led right into it right there. It may not be as much that those musicians aren't out there because we've all seen paradigm shifts in music. Randy Travis was a paradigm shift, yeah. and that opened the door for the other guys. 
Nirvana, hmm. Pearl Jam, uh, Stone Temple Pilots. For my generation, monster paradigm shift in music. Okay, well, it may just be, it's not as much that those musicians aren't out there now in mass and are as we, fantastic. The demographic may not be out there for that to even happen. You have to have both of them paired up. Like you said, go see Cody Jinks, you know, go see Ward any of those guys. We're going to go and say, we're going to, you know, we're people who can relate to that. Mm-hmm. You take your somebody, you know, everybody in this room is 10 years younger than me. Go 10 years younger than you. Go 15 years younger than you. Except for Cagle, he's pretty old. <laughs> he's an old soul. But um, you know that, that is a much larger number yeah. overall. And if they're not willing to listen to that, if that doesn't catch their attention and they put the money into it, and you know they're going to get on and use Spotify and social media more than we will, yeah. you know, then that might be the biggest barrier out there is the demographic. You know, at the end of the day, you know, when I, when I listen to music, and I'm sure y'all are the same way, I want to connect to the music. Mm-hmm. Any music I listen to, whether it be rock music, country music, whatever I listen to, I listen to everything. I even listen to some gospel music. Uh, it's no strange looks, but I listen to some gospel music, right? So that's all we're all looking to connect with in music. We want some somebody to relate to. Yeah. Well, to, to your, and I'll say this directly to you, because you're a Hank Senior fan, and you said listen to gospel music. Copperline closes every show in bars in bars with I Saw the Light. Right. Every single show. Because guess what? Probably somebody in there needs to hear that. Absolutely. That's why we do Absolutely. That. I do most of the time when I go to a bar. And, and, Paul, and Paul always, everybody's like, man, you're going to do that golf song? Paul said, absolutely. Because somebody in there, and I tell you, you want to see a crowd full of, this sounds bad to word like this, but you'll see a crowd full of drunks get up and start dancing, play I Saw the Light at 2 in the morning. <laughs> I promise you it works. I probably saw the light at 2 o'clock in the morning. I promise you it I'm works. I'm sure you did. I you know, me and you share a kinship in the fact that we've played music. Mm-hmm. You've played in bars and everything else. <clears throat> I was right the opposite. You might not be able to tell by the way I act now, but I grew up playing in church. Mm-hmm. The one thing that we got in common, and I want you to touch on it, talk about the feeling that you get whenever everybody is in that zone. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, I, I can see your... I can see your tone change. Our listeners can't, but he's got a smile on his face because he knows where I'm going with this. Everything just feels right in the world. You can look out there and you can tell your message is getting across. Even if it's not getting across, you know whenever that chemistry is so good and you're in the zone. Yeah. Please, please touch on that. It's 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 one of those things that you talked about earlier if you've never been there you don't understand it's one of the and greatest feelings in the world there's nothing like I've had I've been blessed to play with musicians that are man so good uh, Brian and Brad Baker uh, Walter Ackerman uh, Adam Stacks Cody Lock. I mean the list goes on and on my brother John O'Mary Chris Chamnis Landon Taylor James Banks I mean I've, I've been blessed to be sharing the stage with some great musicians local guys but Terry's absolutely right, and and we mostly did cover music up until a point. My brothers wrote a bunch of songs. Um, one of them was used on your dad's TV show one time, yeah. uh, and so that's where I noticed it at. When people know that song, or even Coal Miner, or even Clinton song. I mean, you got when we're playing it, and you got people out there, and you know that the guy you're looking at right now that's singing at the top of his lungs is a coal miner. You know that that it, there's it's indescribable. And I've played in church, yeah. I stepped out on my own one time in front of a congregation and sang that Zach Williams song, Chainbreaker, and I had a Baptist church rocking. 
and that moment I was like, man, it was like something different hit me. It was it's totally different than playing bars because I mean I've seen the drunks and college girls and all this, but that that moment was different because it was like there was a message that I never heard in that song that was being projected out. And these people are, I mean, you can't explain it. You, you, you can't. You can't explain it. It, it. It's even better when the music that you feel is is right there, as tight as it could possibly be. Mm-hmm. And you know that you're killing it. I mean, you know that, you know, when Walt steps up and nail that lead ride that's coming, it's fixing to mm-hmm. blow the doors off this place. Or, or when James goes in the steel ride or, or you know, whatever, you know it's, it's 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 almost like an out of body experience. Mm-hmm. Like you can almost turn around and look at it and be in awe of it. And that's something only music can give you. And you know we talk about the lyrics, the lyrics stuff like that. My dad always says, country music won't come back until something bad happens to make people feel pain again. Mm-hmm. But I kind of flip that because I look at society now. How many single mothers, single parents, kids without parents? There's a lot of ugly here. The only thing is those kids ain't listen to country music. Right, right. We fell into it to where if you if you were down in the dumps and girlfriends broke up with you, dog died, that's what you did. When I got dumped, it was a case of beer and country music that pulled me through. Absolutely. Pop, pop in a Burn Goston tape. Yeah, it was country music <laughs> and a case of beer that pulled me through. And that should that probably needs to be a song I need to write right there. That should be the hook of it. But that that's kind of where we were. I mean, like Terry said, you had to play the song in reverse to realize the guy got all of his stuff back. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how it is. But that's where we went to it. When it was a coping mechanism when you were hurting or when you just want to get a bonfire together and have buddies over and sit around and tailgate and drink beer. In the background, you had country music playing. Every now and then, some older rock stuff. Oh, yeah. Southern rock especially, but mm-hmm. it was all music you relate to because that was good time music. Good you, times. Know, mm-hmm. you can't look at rock music and say, oh, well, that's that's a good time song or that's a, that's a sad song. I'd listen to that if I got heartbroken. There's some you can. But yeah. country, you can find one for every five you hit a country playlist. Mm-hmm. And that's what made... So I think there is enough pain out there for somebody to come through and, and do it. But it's going to take that. Yeah. You know, Randy Travis brought back the old sound. And he brought back a wholesomeness. Mm-hmm. You know, now now the Randy Travis we know now, well, we had some buck naked in the road. Buck naked in the road. But, you know, he brought almost a clean cut, pure country sound that people are like, wait a second, that that is what it sounds like. Exactly right. It, it reminded everyone. But what Terry was saying about that, when you feel that, when you know everybody else is feeling that and you're feeling it, it's it's like a... It's a moment you can't describe because it's like you're in, it's like everybody in the room's in unison, and I get mm-hmm. that from I get that from original songs, and the only time I've ever got it's original songs and gospel songs, because it's like of course gospel songs. We're are all I, I would venture to guess we're all believers in some way. I don't want to touch on religion, but we all we all believe we all believe the words in red and that's kind of stuff like that. Washing the blood, so that's different. That's a different feeling because you're there to hear something higher than we could ever imagine. But when you have a song that you wrote. In my case, Paul. We have a song Paul wrote, whether it be about addiction, because he has one of those, or that be about coal business or work or, or, or kids. He has a multitude of things. When you realize people connect with that, that that's that's something totally different. Jamie Johnson, to me, right now, is the best songwriter living right now. Yes. Yes. Forever honky tonk badonka donk. He wrote in fifteen minutes in the lobby because they told him his stuff wasn't good enough. You got a high cost of living. You got a can't cash my checks. You got to end color. Yeah. Jamie Johnson 
knows what it's like to write country music, and that's that's mm-hmm. country music. You listen to High Cost of Living, and you tell me that that dude didn't feel that crap. I mean, right. come on. So, for, for Paul, I know if he was sitting right here, he would say the same thing we're saying. It's indescribable to have connection with something that you feel mm-hmm. back to you. Same with gospel music, because you're feeling that just like everybody else. I know I know. whenever I would be playing, there would be days whenever we would sound great, but it would basically be like we were playing to a wall. Yeah. Then there would be other instances where everybody was just in tune, everybody was in, just in sync, there was that groove. And this fat boy would be dancing on the stool while he was playing the drums. Yeah. It's it's indescribable. I, I, I don't know how to describe it any better than you did. Uh, even from a even from a praise and worship standpoint, yeah, it's it it's different, but it's still the same. Yeah, the feeling's the same, but it's a different reason for the feeling. That's right, the only way you can put it. And and I, it, it, and like you said, it, it takes musicians to know that. Like I don't pride myself of being that talented musician. I can play, I can entertain, I can do that. But I mean, there's guys like the Baker brothers, Brad and Brian, that can play anything to an exceptional level. I wish I was as good as Brad Baker at music, just like I wish I was as good at Brad Baker as it was at football. Brad's a talented guy, and I had the privilege of knowing him, calling a friend. But he's a talented musician. I wish I could play like Landon Taylor. I wish I could sing like my brother. I, I know, but at the same time, me and Paul wish we could sing like our daddy. <laughs> so he was kind of the patriarch of the whole deal. My sister also, Jason touched on this before we started. My sister, not so much now, she don't do it anymore. Back in the day, man, I'm talking pipes. Yeah. She could she could she could really belt it. She don't practice it anymore, so she don't really sing a lot, but so it to me it's like I, I I'm thankful I get to play music with so many good people over these years. And and for me music's something I can do until I'm eighty years old. Absolutely. You touched on something just a second ago before we really got into that tangent where we was talking about country music. Now we can, how if enough people felt the pain or everything else, they can come back to it. Do you think, especially some of these younger people or just people in general, how we were drawn to it by pain, do you think they're, they might be turned away from it by pain? I think they do because you look at now, like you hear, how many times have we heard country music depressing? I mean, we've all heard that. I've heard it all my life. Friends that don't, look, friends that don't like country music, that's, man, crap's depressing. I can't listen to that. It's so depressing. No, it's it's real. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Real. And, and these younger generation are out there, they may say, I'm good. But for all the ones that say I'm good, there's that one guy that just got his heart broke. Mm-hmm. Or that one guy mm-hmm. that just got laid off of work. Yep. Or that one guy that don't know how he's going to provide for his family that needs to hear too cold at home to get him back. I think just like you were talking about right there where everybody's like, it's too depressing. I think that's where this garbage that we're having to listen to that right now came from. It is, 100%. I would Truth agree with that 100%. I would agree with that 100% because everybody wants to be, everybody wants to hear happy music. Let's all be happy. Let's all be, well, sometimes if if I'm dealing with the way of the world on me, just like we all have, we all have. We've all been pained. We all worry about our kids. We all worry about how we're going to provide. I don't want to hear Robin Thicke and, and Miley Cyrus shaking their ass. I want to hear something real. So for me, I relate to it. I, it's not saying I don't listen to different kinds of music. Obviously, I do. I've talked about Dave Matthews and, and the Black Crows. and I'm, I'm a Metallica guy. Me and Terry have conversations about Metallica numerous times. I'm a Metallica fan. Um, but I, I just, it's like Brandon said earlier, it's got to be relatable. And I, I just right, have to relate yeah. to country music. That's what I grew up loving. That's what I learned how to play. And now if I play a rock song, it's 
you know, kind of sounds like a country song just because of my voice and how I play guitar. But um, I think you may be onto something when you say that this generation may be turned off by the fact that some of it is kind of depressing. But it's not depressing to us. It's real. Right. I, I think um, sometimes you discover it. I know I, I grew up on Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard, and, and all those guys. John Conley, one of my all-time favorite voices. Yeah. But, you know, I... As I became a teenager and started experiencing some things in life, um, you know, to listen to Keith Willie, I'm no stranger to the rain, when you're really feeling beat down, or Merle Haggard, if we make it through December, Man. as you become older and you're having to support a family and you don't know if you're going to be able to pay those bills, you feel it. You really feel I think sometimes people discover it along the way and then you become a bigger fan because you finally hear someone who's talking about what you're feeling. My only thing is, is this, is that um, this generation they're selling tickets to now, these 16-year-old girls, they're going to be our age. And I hope that what I'm doing as a father is getting the next generation to like what we like. And I'm, I've been to Cody Jink shows where there's been kids there. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's very open to children. Mm -hmm. So maybe this next generation will be the one to kind of turn it back around. The older the older I get, the further back I go with my music. I, I, I you know, maybe it's maybe it's a life thing. Maybe, maybe I'm turning into that old man that just hates everything now and thinks <laughs> and thinks everything's better back in the day. So I feel on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean seriously. Um, I li you were talking about what you listen to. I listen to literally everything but two things: southern gospel and bluegrass with vocals. I can't handle it. And here's, and here's why. When those guys start singing so high-pitched, it sounds like somebody's got a handful of their boyhood and just sitting there twisting it. And the higher they get, the more pain they're feeling. I, I can't handle it. But just talking about blues, I, I've played a little bit of blues here and there. It, ironically, is the most fun thing I have ever played in my entire life. It's nothing but a jam session. Can yeah. you agree with yeah, us? Yeah, I agree with that. It, you're, you feel every single note. You feel every single chord you hit. You feel every single drum you hit. Why? Because it just feels real because it's right in the moment. Some of my best, some of the best blues songs that I've ever heard come from Robert Johnson. Well, now you're getting into my territory because my favorite genre, I know, of course, country is what we're talking about, but... And I don't know why I took a liking to it when I was younger. Is the blues, mm -hmm. Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters, mm -hmm. um, you know Mississippi John Hurt. I can go on and on. Yes. And I, but I think part of it, of course, I just like the style of music mm -hmm. and the simplicity. But part of what draws me to that is what draws me to certain kinds of country music. Right. There's honesty, man. Yeah. There's just plain honesty. It was real. It was real, and you know, man, the truth. It doesn't matter who the truth is told on or what it's told about. You know it when you hear it. Mm -hmm. People know the truth. Mm -hmm. And, man, you just can't you can't listen to that and not be like, man, that's like something to eat when I'm hungry. Well, right. my, opinion, you know? my opinion, this is it's all, you know, everybody's greatest of all time is different. Right. Know, I, would, I would venture a guess everybody's is different. But in my opinion, the greatest guitar player ever lived with Stevie Ray Vaughan. I know a lot of people say Hendrix or Clapton and that's fine. I'll never I'll never dispute that, that they were yeah. arguably on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. But my opinion to me, Stevie was the greatest and he's yes. blues picker. I mean blues picker. 
Love some so, Texas blues. So, and to me, you know, you talk about guys like BB King and then Robert Johnson and, and people like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you had to feel the music to play blues music. Yes, you couldn't sit there and just look at notes and play. I'm getting goosebumps. You just have to feel it. If you're gonna sit there and play <laughs> Texas Flood or you're gonna, or you're gonna play that kind of stuff, you have to feel it. Mm. And will it be the same every time? No, no. No, you can listen to Stevie Ray Vaughan live, and it doesn't sound like the record because he wasn't feeling what he did on that record. Right. He's, he's going, feeling this. He's so going through the emotions on that live. It, it, it's almost like they have some kind of a magic, some kind of voodoo they put into play, man. The mojo is just amazing. It's because it's real. Yeah, yeah. it's the truth. It's real emotions. The real, the real yeah. emotions, as, as he's been talking about. That's the part that puts the goosebumps on your arm. That's what yeah. makes the hair on the I back agree. of your neck stand up. Yes. Because you're just like... God, yeah. it gets the conviction out of his voice, as I said earlier, because he believes everything he's saying, and he believes everything he's doing because it's right. real. And when he plays, it's 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 all off of feeling. It's it's all about it's all about that. That's all it is. It's blues music is feeling. It's like country music. Terry talked about country music was formed from blues, bluegrass, and folk music. Yes, it was. That's three genres where you had to feel it to be able to play it. Yeah. You know, he's talking about bluegrass without the lyrics. I'm I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I did. Do I, I appreciated Bill Monroe. I appreciated Ralph Stanley. They were mm-hmm. great at what they did. Yes, they were. And I, I like bluegrass gospel music, but the musicianship in bluegrass is something that is unmatched. It's oh, almost, it's, a, it's, it's almost second to none. It's, it's unmatched. It's unbelievable. And, and when a, when a, a family full of kids that are no no older than nineteen years old can pick up bluegrass instruments and wear it out, mm-hmm. yeah, you know what? As young as they are, they feel it. Right. They, ain't been, they ain't been taught how to play like that. You don't right. teach. You teach somebody how to make chords on a banjo, and how to pick it. You don't teach them how to play it. No, everybody plays. Different you didn't too. teach Stevie Ray. Stevie Ray Vaughan didn't get taught how to play the guitar. He got shown how to make chords, but he felt how to play the guitar. He felt how to play. That's it. when it's totally different. That's what puts you in that realm of a of a Slash and a Joe Perry and the greats we think of. Uh, uh, what was his name? Played with uh, Led Zeppelin, drawn a blank. Jimmy, 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 Page. Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page. You, that's you're on a different level with those guys. Mm-hmm. Same way in bluegrass, yeah. like Dan Tominski and Union Station. Like you're on a different level with those guys. It's just like I heard in the, heard in the movie once. I know you've heard it before because I know you watched Eddie and the Cruisers. Oh yeah. I'm dating myself, but still, just like there's a line in the in the song whenever the saxophone player told Eddie Wilson he knew who he was. I knew the moment that you played. Yeah. Music is just like fingerprints. Exactly right. That's Everybody exactly right. always sounds the same. When you have that guy that, that as soon as you hear it, like I, I can tell guitar tones. It's just mm-hmm. something I can do. Like there's a Brad Paisley song called Cluster Pluck where he has the best country music pickers of all time, well that are live of all time play on the same thing. There's a YouTube video where it brings up their name when they start playing. I didn't need that. I could tell when Vince Gill started playing, when Steve Warner started playing, mm-hmm. when Brent Mason started playing. You don't talk about greatest guitar players of all time, you look no further than Brent Mason. But, and even Brad Paisley, Keith Urban, their sounds are different. I could tell Pink or Matt, like Slash, if you put on a song right now and the guitar part, I could tell you if it was Slash, I could tell you if it was Joe Perry, I could tell you right. if it was Jimmy Page. That's when you know that you're above what mm-hmm. we're talking about. That's when you know when you're, you know, there's certain John Bonham drum leaks and what John Bonham did. You, you know, that I mean, <laughs> he is often imitated but never duplicated you know Rush I can pick out Rush just by how they sound mm-hmm. nobody Ginger, sounded like Rush Ginger Baker a Ginger, Ginger Baker Ginger solo Baker's doesn't sound like anybody exactly right hey guys we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back when we finish the segment out okay sounds, sounds great right? we'll be right back 
round robin. All right, guys, back to two guys in a podcast. Okay. Even though there's four of us. Yeah. Right. Four guys in a kitchen table. It's a generic title. We're here in this um, this elegant studio, folks. I'm telling you, this show is nationwide. It is uh, one of the most dangerous podcasts in America right now because yeah. we're telling the truth. But, um, man, we're just so thankful you came on today, Garrett, and uh, look forward to you coming back. What I would like to do, if, if you guys are okay with it, because this has been a very... Um, very much an episode about music and what if we just went around and we all said who are our mount rushmore guys our top four guys in music country and rock and that that'll cover a lot of ground different genres but we'll just kind of go around and, and discuss who do we think is the our personal faves start us off start us off then. Good. okay um well, as far as country music goes, you know, and I kind of, I'm kind of a history buff, you know, so uh, I, I I tend to go back so well, I've got to have the foundation before I just pick who I just like as a person. Um, you know, i got to go with Hank Sr. you got to go with Hank Sr. Um, for me personally, I'm going to put Johnny Cash in there. Because I believe he's an iconic figure, not just in music. I believe he transcends country music. He did a lot with prison reform. He did a lot for Native American rights. He's, um, you know, at times just been almost a quasi-religious figure. He he, he kind of he kind of is just out there apart. And there's something I love about that. His last before his death, his um, American recordings and some of his independent stuff he did is my favorite cash work. You know, uh, I mean. You know, the cover of Hurt. Yeah, Nine Inch Nail Song. Nine Inch Nail Song. You know, When the Man Comes Around, fabulous. I mean, just good stuff. Um, let's see. Waylon Jennings, I'm going to have to put him there because I've just, I've grown up just loving his music and uh, just loving his honesty. Um, gosh, it's, it's, it's really hard to choose but I guess I'm going to have to go with Merle Haggard as the fourth because there's just something you know they call him the working man's poet and there's just something about working people and and that struggle that really speaks to me and he does that as far as rock and roll goes you know Elvis he, he's yes. he, he's the he's the top of the mountain with the brightest torch um Eddie Vedder <laughs> Just because I think he's a great, he write he writes good songs. And he doesn't write all their songs, by any means. But um, there's just something about the guy. I think he's got integrity, and I, I like you know there for a long time. And he may they may still this may still be their policy as a band. They wouldn't let their stuff be shown on MTV. They you know fought against some of the um, ticket companies to keep the prices down, yeah. and you know. And of course, his voice. His voice is fantastic. Um, just the whole band is great. But there's just something I respect about Eddie Vedder. Um, let's see. Uh, as far as you know, we were talking guitarist, and I'm agree. I agree with you. I don't think you can pick a single great guitarist and say this guy's the best because we didn't even talk about Satriana. We yeah. didn't talk about Joe Bonamassia. We didn't talk about Angie Mousestream. We didn't talk about any of those guys. And those, I mean, a lot of those guys hit it big in the 80s, you know, because that's, a lot of my thinking goes back to the 80s because that's when I started getting interested in music at about 14. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, but uh, I always have to kind of go back to Hendrix because to me, he was almost magical. Um, and uh, beyond that, you know, gosh, I don't know. Um, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to have to throw on there uh, a blues man because uh, just of my personal um, feelings about the blues and which they're all great, uh, but um, I'll put Howlin' Wolf on there. You know, um, the guy who discovered Elvis Presley at Sun Records, what was his name? Oh, man. Uh, Sam, uh, Sam, Sam Phillips. Sam Phillips. Yeah. Sam Phillips. Yeah, he was asked one time, because, you know, eventually he sold the rights to all those guys. Yeah. And he was asked one time, who do you regret the most as far as signing the rights away to, to them as, 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 you know, being the record label? They expected him to say Elvis Presley or Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, or Roy Orbison. He said, Howlin' Wolf. He said that is the, if he could have stayed out of trouble, that was the single most talented musical artist I have ever dealt with. Wow. So that's my route, Mount Rushmore. Well, I guess uh, Hank Williams is top of mind. I just feel his music, and it's, it's, it's raw talent. You don't have that anymore. And any music we listen to, I don't think anybody touches Hank Williams Jr. as far as vocals. Or Hank Williams Sr., I'm sorry. Uh, Hank Williams Jr. I love what Hank Williams Jr. does. He 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 to me he kind of he carried on the outlaw in country and he he's still keeping it going. Even if when you see him out doing shows, is he still outlaw country? Uh, Conway Twitty, I love Conway Twitty. Somebody that talked about. Yeah. I love Conway. He's probably my number two or number three favorite country artist. You and my dad need to get together. I love Conway. <laughs> uh, and I like George Strait, George Jones. Uh, they're kind of even to me. Uh, rock, uh, Leonard Skinner. I love Leonard Skinner. Uh, I love Queen. Yep. I know that sounds a little fruity, but I love Queen. Uh, I think the Bohemian Rhapsody, I've researched Queen and read about them, and that's a very accurate movie on how their career started. Uh, new, newer band, Shinedown. I think they're, they're on my Mount Rushmore. I think they're a great band. And they kind of, as far as for rock, the music they sang, it, it, you can't you feel it because it's something that somebody could go through. Uh, that's really it for me in rock. You know, I don't really I'm mostly country music, but I, I like I said, I listen to everything. But you could even throw Aaron Lewis on your rock. Aaron you Lewis, yeah, I mean Aaron Lewis, absolutely. Aaron Lewis guy. What about you there, big man? When I think of Mount Rushmore's and I think of music and everything else, I don't know about you. It's hard for me to just sit there and enjoy it for what it is I study it yeah the same way uh, that's how I learned how to play for better or worse you know I was taught to play along with you know music and different bands and everything like that John Bonham was an incredible influence to me um, something about Led Zeppelin I, I just love um I love it, it. It's raw. <laughs> it's it's organized chaos, if you will. I love Led Zeppelin. Metallica was a huge influence in Lars Ulrich. I can sit there. I'm sitting here thinking about it, and sitting there playing and everything in my little shed right there on the outside of the house. Neighbor from a quarter mile away would come up to dad after he pulled up his truck and said 
But listening to you, boy, he ain't doing bad because he could hear me about a quarter of a mile away <laughs> from the house. Um, God smack later on. So we are not uh, a bad man. I love, I love the sound. Uh, I can't remember the drummer's name right off the bat. Straight out of line. As soon as I heard that drum intro, I was hooked. Yeah. Keep Keep Away was a good song, but Straight Out of Line is just it's it's what done it for me. The talent level to play voodoo. Oh God! The drums on voodoo. Oh God! Always that was crazy. You know, um, I just want to say that whenever it comes to that, and I shared earlier, I listened a little bit of everything. How growing up when I did, hip hop was undeniable. Yeah. N.W.A., Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, Tupac, Biggie. You know, then later on in the 90s, Eminem came in. I mean, to me, that was the golden era of that. I can't get into this crap that's on Yeah, I think Tupac and and Eminem are the two greatest rappers ever. And then at the same time, Easy e was taken too young. That guy was was. a hardcore rapper to the point that there ever was. N.W.A., which, you, you it's can like put, a revelation you can back when it came out. Mount Rushmore. I mean, I was yeah. honest with you. The end of the yeah. can beat the Mount Rushmore rap music. You, you talk, yeah. You're talking about country. Garth, George, Keith Whitley, yeah. Hank Sr., Conway. I love Conway. Uh, it's really, really hard to just sit here and just say, well, to me, anyway. These are my guys. Yeah, it is. I, I can't do that. I, I love I loved so much different type of music, and I'll take, I, even whenever I was learning, and even to this day, if I was if I was sitting behind the drums right now, okay, I'm going to take parts of this guy. I'm going to take parts of this guy. I'm going to take parts of this one over here. I'm going to take this out of this completely other genre right over here, and I'm going to try and make it my own. That's your style. That I'm gonna try and do what I can to make it my own, to see if it fits into what I do. Everybody plays differently. Yeah. It's like what I was talking about a while ago. It's mm-hmm. your fingerprints. You know, Dave Matthews Band was what we were talking about earlier. How do you get any better as a band than that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What about you, Garrett? I said my coachman earlier, and it's. I mean, I, I have. Waylon Jennings and Merle Haggard's guitars tattooed on my body. I mean, that's that's no joke. They're tattooed on my body. Um, I'm a huge Waylon fan. Do not get me wrong. He's kind of my first alternate out of my Mount Rushmore. That's going to surprise a lot of people I say that. But you can't have a Mount Rushmore, in my opinion, of country singers and not have Hank Sr. and George Strait on there because, to me, they are country music. The, the next two, I feel like, are just personal preference. I mean, I really do. They're just per- who you like. Merle Haggard, my, my dad's a big Merle Haggard fan. I grew up listening to Merle Haggard. That's what I, the first song book I learned was Merle Haggard. So Merle Haggard's under, to me, George Jones made me feel music more than anybody because that dude sang with, even if he didn't feel it, his voice sounded like he felt it. So mm-hmm. you, he stopped loving her today. How Patsy Cline beat him with Stand By Your Man is the greatest song ever written. I do not know. He stopped loving her today is one of the prettiest songs ever out there. So that would be my country, Mount Rushmore. And I said it earlier. To do a rock one, because I'm a musician like Terry's talking about, I, it would be more beneficial for me to break it down by instrument. Right. But if I had to do a Mount Rushmore other than country music, I won't say strictly rock because 
I'm, I, I would feel bad not putting a John Bonham or a Slash or something like that on Mount Rushmore because to me they're the best of their instrument at what I like. Elvis Presley's king of rock and roll. I have to put Elvis there. I would put Prince on mine. Mm. Wasn't really rock, but that dude was such a good musician. And music- Prince is on mine. He'd have to be. My opinion, the greatest front man in the, ever in a band was Freddie Mercury. So I'm with Brandon on that. As far as a strict front man, Freddie Mercury can entertain anybody. Yeah. And the last one, and not the least one, to me was, you know, other than country, Stevie Ray Vaughan. So I would have Elvis Presley, Freddie Mercury, and Stevie Ray Vaughan, and Prince. Fantastic. Because of the musicianship. <laughs> well, all right, folks. There you have it. Um, I think we're going to close this episode out. Anybody got any last comments? Not today. I appreciate y'all having me. I had a blast. Garrett, we're glad to have you here, buddy. We've been waiting on you to come on with us. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad I finally made it. Great time, great time. We can sit around and chew the fat with some old buddies and talk about some stuff we're all interested in. I do want to give a shout-out to my parents today. It's their 35th wedding anniversary. Hey, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to the Eshes. 35 years of dealing with each other. Also, since since we're breaking the fourth wall and saying we're recording on a Saturday instead of our normal Sunday, today is December 14th, and it happens to be the state of Alabama's birthday. So, 200 years, is that 200 right? 200 years. Excuse wow. me, Mr. Akins, but I'll give that a roll tide. Roll, roll tide. tide. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you all again next time. <laughs>